Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Parable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that HR dashboard that's helping all of you HR and people leaders out there who are tired of the manual, tedious, and time-consuming process of pulling spreadsheets from different systems to try to understand a data-driven view of your workforce. We know you don't like it. That's why we created this HR dashboard with pre-built integration connectors to the most popular HR systems out there. Systems like ADP, Namely, Bamboo HR, Trinet, Zenefits, Reflective, 55, Lattice, you name it. We can help you pull in all your data into one place so you can view, share, track, and analyze your people data from one unified view. Please check out EmployeeCycle.com, sign up for a demo, and we would love to chat with you to explore how we can help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But we have a great guest today. And so please help me welcome to the show, Jamie Farkas, Director of HR at Cascade Engineering. And today we're going to discuss how to create an an evidence-based recruiting process. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Jamie! Nothing like a good round of applause. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And so, Jamie, I want to ask you a very serious question. Okay. And that is, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, man, it was a weird road, a really weird road to get here. In, in college, my um, original degree is in civil engineering. I went to Michigan Technical Technological University, and I liked engineering. I thought it was really fun. But in practicality, uh, when I had to do the job, I was so bored. I just really didn't like it. So I couldn't imagine spending all my time um, drafting in a little cubicle. So um, I went back to school and I started taking random classes at the community college to figure out what in the world I was going to do with myself when my dad was really mad about the engineering degree. And uh, my counselor said one night I had to take find one more class. I needed a management class. And the only thing I had open was HR. And I remember telling her that sounds like the worst class. Like I would sooner not take anything than take this HR class. But I went and the second night I was just hooked. I thought it was so interesting. And nobody talks about HR jobs when you're talking about career prep or anything in high school. And there are so many different things you can do in HR. And you really touch every part of a business, which was really exciting to me. And there's just so much you could do with it. So once I kind of got down that road, I was hooked. And kind of the rest is history. Got my master's in HR management. And here we are. Awesome. And thanks for that background. So today we're discussing how to create an evidence-based recruiting process. And before we go into the details of discussing how do you do this, I first want to ask you, what is an evidence-based recruiting process? So evidence-based recruiting is an attempt to change the way that we traditionally view hiring. So I think it's pretty well known that our almost everyone uses the same way where we take a resume, we review it for minimum qualifications, maybe you pass it on to a hiring manager, they decide if they want to interview somebody, but it's not very successful and it's not the best predictor of a good fit for a candidate because we all have inherent biases. I might like someone who went to Michigan Tech like I did. I might think automatically, oh, they're smart, they're going to be good. Is that real? Maybe not. Uh, Everybody has these little biases. So the best candidate 
systems are going to eliminate the biases and let you work only on data. So evidence-based, the evidence uh, that we're taking is from personality tests, cognitive tests, and then reference checking. We blend them all together for like a candidate score. We use a star system, so out of five stars. And it helps us compare our candidate against our ideal uh, attributes for the job and use data uh, beyond just our organization. So we, we tap into the ONET and some other resources that are available to, to help us get a larger pool um, for statistical analysis. And then we basically, we use the math. We follow the math to tell us predictors, what looks good, um, how close of a fit are we? And the cool thing about it is with all these tests, you never count anybody out. The, the goal is not to count someone out. It's not to make your pool smaller. It's just to let the right people in the pool. So if we have someone who isn't a great fit in a couple of categories, so like myself, my natural preference might be to work alone. Maybe I don't love teamwork. Can I do it? Sure. But I just have to work a different way, right? I had to find ways to make that work for me. So if the, the selection process shows that, oh, Jamie is not much for teamwork, it doesn't mean I can't do the job. It means we ask Jamie different questions about the job and we might tailor our interview around those specific areas instead of trying to ask 20 applicants, 20 interviewees, the same questions that don't really get um, at the meat of what we want. It should help us have better fits so we have less turnover, better fits for the job so that they have better performance. And then it also ends up increasing your diversity of candidates because you're eliminating some of those biases that also come around, like we see all these studies on uh, women's names or minority names, people who seem unfamiliar or something that's too much like me or too much not like me, um, we see bias. So this process helps to push all of that out. So instead of uh, the manager saying, I want to see these people, HR in the process puts a pool in front of the manager. So there's much more work up front, but it's easier on the manager and then they get better candidates kind of in the end. So we're just reorganizing the process. That's awesome. And I appreciate that background. And there were three different areas that you spoke of that you said were the core components of this. You said there was a personality test, a reference check, and what was the third? Cognitive test. Cognitive test. Yep. Awesome. And so in regards to these three core components, I want to really go through all three of these since you really laid out a great roadmap for us. So when it comes to the personality test, what is this really testing for and what kind of questions are being asked and what method are you asking these questions? So it's all online tests and we designed our process. We wanted it to be easy for applicants because we are using the exact same tests for everyone in our organization. So Cascade um, is an engineering, it's called Cascade Engineering. We're an engineering firm. But we do the manufacturing as well. So um, we have everyone from part-time machine operators all the way up to, I might hire, have hired VPs through this process. So everyone has the same test, um, but we put apply different standards for each job to the test. So we want to keep them short. And it's like maybe 10 minutes that it takes you to do the test. And it asks you questions like, of these two examples, which is more like me? Do I like to be creative or do I like to have something structured? Would I like to have someone tell me what time I had to come to work every day? Or would I like someone to tell me, just make sure you get your tasks done? It's little things. Some of them are about a job or work in general, but a lot of them are just about your personal style. Um, do I like written communication? Do I like to talk face to face? Do I consider myself outgoing or not so much? So it's not open-ended questions. It's all this or this. And sometimes the choices 
neither, but you have to pick which one is most like you or, or least um, unlike you. And based off of what you described as your process earlier, it seems as though this is not really pass or fail, go or no go, but it's more about figuring out where would be the best fit for the candidate or is it actually pass or fail? That's exactly where, where is the best fit. So everyone comes out of it with a candidate profile. So they do the three components and then we have what are called job overlays. So it is, if you think, I'm going to date myself here. If you think back to school where you had those transparency projectors when you're a kid and the teacher's up there writing something on this clear piece of, and they put it over something else. Maybe they're solving a math problem or they're drawing something. So the overlay is like, we apply this to your profile. So my profile for Jamie looks the same, no matter what, but my suitability for the job is determined by the overlay. So my suitability for being an engineer might be good because I would hope so, right? I got a dream that, and I like that. Um, but my suitability for finance might not be very good because I don't want to be bogged down in the detail or I don't like solitary work. I don't like uh, working with numbers. So it just gives us a profile of the person and allows us to compare them for that job or any other job where they'd have the best uh, chance of success. To level set and to make sure that the audience can follow the appropriate timeline of your process, is this happening after you've actually done an in-person or video or phone screen or interview? Or is this before any human interaction? And this is more to weed out to see if a person should actually get an interview in the first place. It's kind of in between the two. It's in the middle of the process. So the first thing is an applicant comes in and they submit their, their information to our system and they say, I'm interested in this job. So the next thing we do is we contact the applicants and get to know a little bit about them. It's usually, I would say, a 10 to 15 minute phone screen from our talent group. And then if once we explain the job that they're applying for and a little bit about the company, if that sounds good, then we send them the assessments. So that would be the cognitive and the the, um, personality one. And then we send them reference checks. So the reference checks are also different than a traditional reference check because who's going to give you someone's number who is not going to say nice things about you, right? It's a little different, and we get a lot of good data out of those two. Once those three things are back, they come back into what's called a composite score, and we rank for the fit of each job on a zero to five stars. And so if you're a five star for this job, we'd pass you on. we pass anybody who's a four or five right onto the hiring manager. And what we do is give the hiring manager like a profile of the employee. They don't see the test results or anything like that because there could be bias in the review of them. Uh, But we show them, hey, this is a person who has four out of five stars. Now here's their resume. And here, based on their test scores, here are five to six questions that we recommend you ask them as part of your interviews to dig in a little bit more. It'll help you learn about them and the suitability for the job. And then the rest, they're free to come up with their own questions as well. So it kind of happens in the middle. Got it. Interesting. And when did you start realizing that, well, first of all, how long have you been doing this versus just doing the standard hiring process without any of these components? We started our evidence-based selection program in 2019, the beginning of 2019. And then we actually launched it in the middle of that year, I think in the fall. So we're just shy of two full years using the process. And it took a long time. It, it was a lot of work to get it established. But, and I think there were definitely parts where we were like, man, I don't know if we've chosen the right thing here. But once it all came together, I mean, we really are seeing what we wanted out of it and then some. So I think it was worth the investment of time. 
And who were all the people who were included in this process? And what did it look like in that prep stage to get all this together? Because it does sound like a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so about five years ago, I attended uh, the National Sherm Conference. And someone in one of my groups who were just sitting and talking at lunch was talking about this idea I'm a math nerd. I'll never get past that of, of using statistics for hiring. And it wasn't called evidence-based at the time. It was kind of a new idea and it stuck with me. And so I took it back home to, and I told my boss, I really, really want to do this and I'm going to learn about it. And he said, great, go, go do that. So I, I got some books and I did some research online. I started talking to people and I started kind of coming up with ideas how this might look, but I did not know how to implement. I had no idea. So I went back to him he said, that still sounds great, Jamie. You have no money extra and no extra people. So if you can figure it out, I'll give you a year. Otherwise, you know, maybe we let this thing go. So during that time, Cascade Engineering does a lot of philanthropic work and a lot of work within our community. We have this philosophy called the triple bottom line, people, plant, profit. And we have been doing that for over 40 years. And our founder, Fred Keller, pioneered some of these community programs like a welfare to career and working with people who are re-entering the workforce from um, prison populations. So we have a lot of connections in that area. And one of them was working with the Kellogg Foundation and Michigan Works to do a, um, a program called evidence-based selection. It started with a local hospital and it worked so well for them. They were offering consulting services for free to employers who would try, try it out and sign up and see what, what they could make out of it. Um, they approached us at Cascade because of our reputation for wanting to have diverse hires and all the work that we do to make that happen and to make sure that our workforce reflects the community that we work in and that we are good stewards of, of the people who work around us. Um, so they came to us and they said, hey, we have a spot and we'd love you to take it. We'd love to help you with this consulting services. And it kind of checked all the boxes of help where I needed it. And it started like the week after they talked to me. <laughs> so said, you have to decide in like five days, are you going to do this or not? So um, our executive team, I pitched it to them. And they were, I think, a little bit skeptical, but also excited that we could be kind of leading the way in this process in our area and that um, it could be something really exciting and a good differentiator for us. So we had that buy-in at the top. And then I had two other people... Uh, and my HR team, one who who was passionate around talent acquisition and really, really wanted to work exclusively in that space. And then another strong HR manager who um, just felt really great about wanting to be involved in this project and has a lot of energy. She's a really fun teammate. So it was basically the three of us and these consultants for, I would say, eight months, helping to gather data, to, to choose what kind of the assessments we want to use, helping us understand our jobs and map out the jobs, categorize them. Going through it now, I look back and I can see the value in, in why we did all those things, but it was hard at the beginning. And now I think there's more people working in this space. I've heard other consulting firms kind of working the same model um, to do evidence-based. And the ones that we worked with, they're expanding now to um, a paid model so that they can offer this outside of our area and even outside of our state to help people kick off their programs. Because it's a little bit daunting. You need some experts in industrial and organizational psych and data analysis that most people aren't likely to have on their own internal staff. If they did, they already would have some kind of program, you know, to be identifying things that they could do to increase diversity and, and better hires, you know? Very, very interesting. And the the part of what you just said, which really got my attention, was how you got the executive buy-in. Because HR is always trying to figure out how to get executive buy-in for a lot of the things that you're looking to do. Right. And so I'm curious, what were those 
different tactics and the ROI, or, or did you even use an ROI calculator for this? How, how did you actually go about communicating what the benefit of this would be, why it makes sense, why, why should you be leveraging so many resources and potentially you know, money or capital to fund this? What did that look like? I think HR, right, we get the reputation that we're always asking for money and investment, but we're not a profit center for the organization. So they, they feel it's like a cost sink or something. Um, so I pretty much laid out a business plan. So with the help of the consultants, they kind of gave us an idea of what sort of results that we could expect. So if we were talking about one of the things we wanted to do is reduce our days to hire just by having HR take back control of this process instead of having it driven by hiring managers who they it would take them a long time to review a resume um, or to get back to us or to free time for interviews. So all this wait time was wasted time. And then they come back and they would blast on HR for why did it take so long to fill my job? So we really wanted to pull some control back. So we started um, analyzing what is the cost of all that time? So the, the lost time that you're having to cover for someone not being in a job. So the lost productivity, um, the cost to other people having to cover it. Um, we added that to the cost of actually not making product in some of these instances. So if we have a design project and we don't have an engineer to make the parts and we have to um, outsource it. How much does it cost us for the firm? How often do we do that? Uh, how many times are we outsourcing short-term labor? Even, even when we have um, down to very basic, like a machine operator, every time they turn over, it's a cost, right? Because we put time and training and direct money into them that we just lose. So we went through and did a really thorough analysis of how much that cost for average turnover was and then how long the wait times were to fill a job. And we set a goal that we felt was really ambitious on, of how much we could lower that. And we thought if we could save in a first year, we thought 15%, if we could have 15% shorter time to hire and we had 15% less turnover in these jobs, less people that we had to hire because we had a better fit, it would save us nearly a million dollars. And it was right there on the paper. I mean, nobody could argue with numbers. And so we took that to them and showed them like, this is, we can be a profit center. We can save money, right? We can make ourselves money because we can, we're pulling it from these other areas, right? We're, we're generating flow that we're, this money that you are spending now, you just don't realize that it's hidden in all these ways. We can give it back to you and then you can go spend it on a new press or whatever the things are that are on their priority list. Um, and I think that was really important because they were very skeptical of a new format of recruiting. And the fact that the hiring managers wouldn't see candidates until later on. So I think to get past that skepticism at first, we had to really give them some reasons. And it was right there in the bottom line why this would work. Got it. And then last question for you, Jamie. For anyone who is now so gung-ho and super excited after listening to this and can't wait to go back to their CEO or CFO and say, hey, give me budget because I just listened to this awesome podcast and we need to do evidence-based recruiting. If they could only remember one thing about all the things that you've discussed so far on this podcast, what would be the one thing that they should take away from this in regards to going about doing this and creating a business case for why this will make their company better? I think so start looking inside. Identify what are the areas that you want to change with this process. because. If you don't have that, you know, it's kind of like begin with the beginning. You have to know why you want to do it, not just because it's cool, not just because it's a new thing, but what will this impact for you? If you don't have high turnover, 
or you're not losing key people, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, but I think identify what you want to change and then be honest about how much how much of a save or how much of a pain it is for you, what, what, what kind of pain point that is. Um, and then work your business case um, because there is going to be an outlay of costs and time, right? It's got to be worth it. So make sure that you get your business case ready to get in front of those CEOs and CFOs because we know they're going to ask the questions. So be ready for them. Jamie, thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest and for educating us all on this really fascinating process around evidence-based recruiting. Thanks for sharing all your wisdom and experience around this. Jamie! Thanks, Bruce. It was fun. I'm glad you thought so. I had a lot of fun as well. So, Jamie, where can people find you and Cascade Engineering online? So our website is CascadeNG.com, and you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Jamie Farkas, Jamie with no E on the end. Um, And I'd be happy to connect with people who want to talk about evidence-based hiring, too. Um, Feel free to hit me up, and let's have a chat. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all of that contact info on the show notes. So if you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as Jamie with no E and I did, then please... Leave us a comment on iTunes or wherever you leave comments. Just show us that you care and that you enjoyed this podcast. We'd like to hear it. Also, if this is your very first time listening to any of our podcast series before, but now you've really enjoyed this one and you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire train and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Better kids.